the volume. Hey guys, it's the Sessions presented by FanDuel. It might be cold, but the sports calendar is heating up, baby, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and so, so easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers, boosts, and more. And when you win, you're gonna get paid real fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like with the spread, money line, over, under, team totals, player props, and so much more. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same game parlay to try out the same game parlay plus. Get in on that. And... FanDuel is now live in Maryland, y'all. So use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342. 1-888-789-7777 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. Have an awesome episode coming up in just a second with Rocky Romero. He is a top-notch human being. Uh, He has worked in many different wrestling promotions. We got down to uh, the brass tacks and all of it. But before that, I want to tell you guys about NetSuite. So 2000, 2008, 2022, when it comes to the economy, those are some pretty scary years. There's a dot-com crash, housing crash, and of course, the roller coaster that we're going through right now. One thing is certain, though, that it's a pretty dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity that they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. So NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting so that you can manage risk, uh, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything that you need all in one place. So how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer is NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where you can save some money. That's why 93% of customers say that they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. So what are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head over to netsuite.com slash sessions. That's netsuite.com slash sessions. Get in on it. Don't miss out. All right, guys, let's get into the interview. This is Rocky Romero. Rocky Romero here on the sessions. Are you ready for a spicy interview? Spicy? Nobody told me anything about spice. It's always spicy around here. Are you kidding me? Okay. I'm 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 in, I guess. What's the Sasha Banks tea? <laughs> <laughs> what did I know that was gonna come up like? I did I thought we might get a little warmed up before we get right to it. No, no, I I'm going to warm you up. I mean, just know that, that question's coming, so prepare your answer however you want. The question's coming your way though. Okay. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> Uh, how are you doing? What's going on? Are you in Mexico? Are you back from Mexico? I am currently home in Los Angeles. I am back from Mexico. I got back um, earlier this week and uh, I had a great trip. I won uh, like a tournament. I got this cool cup. I should probably have put it in my background, but I didn't. Well, you blurred your background anyway, so we wouldn't I be able to see it. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's I smart. I didn't really like my background today. I got to like fix up my my podcasting space a bit. Do you want me to send you a fake plant? That's all the rage. Is that thing fake? Oh, God, yeah. I can't keep a plant alive for the life of me. Can you keep plants alive? My wife is exceptionally good at it. She didn't start out that way, but now she's got a green thumb. See, I think that I can get there. And John poo-poos me every time I bring a plant home. If you were at the grocery store and picking one up, he's like, he starts talking like he's the plant. Like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. (laughs) 
like, listen, I have to get good at it. I know that I'm going to take some L's along the way. For sure. Some but I need to figure die, it out. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> Someone needs to be sacrificed through It's like goldfish, you know? <laughs> yeah. Those, you know, they used to get those goldfish at the fair or whatever. Yeah. And those, you, or a turtle. Go through, yeah, or a turtle. You're going to go through a few of them, unfortunately, but then you're going to get really good at taking care of yeah. pets, you know? Yeah. It's like any kid that like loses a hamster that all of, all of a sudden is in like the, the walls of your house. It happens to everybody. A lizard, a snake. Totally happens. Yes. Has that ever, have you ever lost a pet? No, no, but uh, I, I definitely, I, I lost it. I had a hamster. His name was Corky. He was my best friend as a kid. And then um, that was like my first, man, we're getting deep. It was like my first loss of a pet, oh, you know, it was yeah. so sad. Little guy yeah, like yeah. went in my arms. It was so, oh, so my sad. Gosh. Yeah. You I know learned what? about death though through that. Do kids still get pet hamsters or was that a thing for kids of the 80s? Because I for I had a hamster named Ralph. I love this guy. Me and my best friend, we set up um, a fake wedding, well, a real wedding for our hamsters. They then fornicate. They make baby hamsters. And I also learned about loss through my hamsters because I didn't know at the ripe age that I was of, gosh, maybe nine that if you touch baby hamsters when they're first born, the mom eats them and it's fucked. I walked in on the mom eating the baby hamsters. Oh, no. I'm really just nailing this interview right off the top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Poor people are like so sad and depressed <laughs> listening to this interview. Like, Happy holidays, sorry, everybody. everybody. Uh, yeah. We're just kidding. Oh, anyway. my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a dream I had that didn't actually happen. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> anyway, shout out anyway, to Hamster. Should we talk about something? Yeah, let's talk about something happy. I mean, I have two, I have two beautiful little, um, one's a Shih Tzu and one's a Poodle. They're the, the joys of my life. I've heard about these dogs. I've heard about like the love you have for these dogs. How old are they? Uh, Duke is, um, I think he's six now. And then Honey is three. Duke and Honey. Oh my gosh. Dogs are just the best. What angels on earth they really are. We don't deserve them. Do you ever travel with your dogs? Uh, a little bit. Not really. My, my wife wants to take them everywhere, but it's kind of hard, you know, to yeah. take them. No, it's rough. Yeah. Pun intended, pun intended. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my dogs are bougie as hell, so like... You have L.A. dogs. Do you keep them in those like fancy like L.A. Hollywood dog motels or hotels or whatever? Of course. That's where we pick them up. <laughs> we pick them from this, from this bougie rescue place. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Wagmore. But yeah, they were on Ellen. Like they've totally gotten so like Wait, Hollywood your dogs now. were on Ellen? My dogs are not on Ellen, but the place okay. that we got our dogs okay. from were, were on Ellen. And then they just blew up and like all the celebrities get their dogs there. Oh, but we were I, there first. I follow that place on Instagram. They've got oh, really, you? yeah, I do. They they've got really rescues. sweet pups. They do. They do. Oh, little shaggy little guys. That's sweet. Um, you've mentioned your wife a few times already, and I was going to save it for later, but we're already talking about just personal things before we get into all the wrestling. What's like the love story between you and your wife? How'd you guys meet? So we actually met in acting class. Oh, My, yeah, it's very Hollywood too. But that, I know, look at you. <laughs> I know, so like, um, <laughs> but yeah. So she was, uh, she was, you know, trying to uh, navigate the acting space, and I wanted to become a better professional wrestler. So I started taking acting classes, and um, that's where we met. And like about a year in, we started to pay attention to each other, and then you know, I asked her out on Facebook. Messenger. Oh, mm. Mm. we went out on a date and then she couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> Where? What was the first date? Where'd you guys go? It's just like a little bar, like a bar, little restaurant down the street from her, from her place. And, um, we just, we, we hung out the whole night till like three or 4 AM. And then I finally went home and then she says that I never left her apartment, but <laughs> I had, I had to go home at some point. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Left eventually. Eventually, yeah. How long have you guys been together? So we've been together almost 10 years now. Oh, wow. That's almost like same as John and I. Yeah, we're coming up on, we'll be 10 years this coming year. Gosh, a decade with a person. Holy moly. I know all the secrets, all the little crevices, all All the skeletons. (laughs) All of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, okay, so you mentioned taking acting classes to become a better professional wrestler. Um, you have really become that guy, obviously for New Japan, but I think for multiple promotions to be able to kind of groom some younger talent coming in to get them to where they need to be. Is that something that you often recommend to people is to tap into the acting side of things? Yeah, yeah. It, it kind of became like, so now when I do like seminars and stuff, like I'm, I'm totally like taking stuff that I learned from acting and applying it to a, like professional wrestling because there's a lot of like good little nuggets that uh, the style of acting that I studied, it's perfect for me because I'm, I'm so bad at this. So it's like not preparing is your preparation and just kind of going off the feel, you know, I think like John would like this, I feel like, but like you just kind of going in there and just like kind of feeling. So like I try to tell the younger generation that even though I didn't do this when I was young, I just learned it later in life. But like, you know, to leave a little space to just find out what happens and just figure it out. So like, that's like the, the best tool that I think I have, because I found all of the, the greatest like points of my character or points of my wrestling have always been in discovery mode and not like sitting back and thinking about it for hours and hours, driving yourself crazy. Like you've been doing this for some time now. So you've been in a bunch of different scenarios to learn to kind of sit back and wait for it. It takes a long time, I think, to have the confidence to learn to sit back. Yeah, to trust yourself that you know you're going to come up with something. Um, I feel like, yeah, if if you're young, it's really hard to know to just like let the moment happen, it seems. For sure, for sure. And and so when I am teaching, uh, that's what what I try to focus on. And and I say, you know, like, like, just try it. You know, there's no wrong or right answers because in wrestling there really isn't, right? So it's like, like go ahead and just try it and see what happens. See what kind of story you just kind of naturally make. See what your opponent gives you. And every time your opponent gives you something, that's like a gift. So you choose to receive that gift. Those like rules of improv, the yes and it. Exactly. It's helpful to have those acting classes for obviously like not only in the ring, waiting for those moments, learning how to sell all of those different things. And of course, for a promo to be able to kind of learn those moments and make certain lines feel important and, and whatnot. I feel like we should do more of that. I know at WWE, we did have an acting coach following us around on, on the road with us for a while. And some people really hated it. They hated that there was an acting coach around. I think it's a really smart idea. Why not? People are very resistant towards that. I could see why if you're kind of like a traditionalist, maybe, you know, or like you're so method in the way that you're already doing things and it's worked for you, how you could be scared to try that, you know, but I think you should give it a go either way you know, and then, you know, try to figure out if you can just X that off the list or, you know, maybe you want to dive deeper. Lean into it, a deep dive. Um, okay. So when you first got into professional wrestling, you were what, 15 wrestling under a mask. And is this, is this true that you had to, you were wrestling with the little people? Are we saying little people? Is that the PC <laughs> yeah, term? Okay. Yeah. What is the story behind this? You've been talking to Emilio, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, I was like 15. So they didn't really want to put me with the adults. So there was another kid that was about 15 years old, 16 years old. So we just wrestled each other. And they had him, him under a gimmick called El Payasito Dinko, which is like, the clown dink, but like a, like a very like warped lucha version of it. So they decided to put me under the mask and called El Mono Negro, okay. which means the black monkey. So I was a monkey. I was a little monkey guy. Cute. And then I would fight, I would fight the clown. Wow. That's, that's as carny as it gets right there. It's very carny. <laughs> I started out very carny, still am. I don't know. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> Renee, help me, please. Get um, me out of this business. I'm going to go do something You're else. in it. You're in it. Just ride it out. Ride it out. It's going well for you. It's good. Um, what was it like being under a mask? I sometimes uh, feel for wrestlers that are under a mask because I feel like that's got to be rough sometimes. In the beginning, it's it's very different obviously. And, and, you know, you're losing like your depth perception and, uh, you know, you, you kind of learn to work around it, but yeah, I never really liked wrestling in a mask. I got comfortable with it later, uh, later in my career, when I started doing, uh, became black tiger, then I got very comfortable with it. 
but it's not something that I I really enjoy. I mean, what? Look at how handsome this face is. Look at this face. You Why know? would we cover Why it up? Oh my god. This? You know. I mean, if you're you know you're young and we're trying to sneak you onto the card, I get it. Right. But exactly. Yeah, let's let the face. Let's look at that face out there. Yeah. Um. So you're 15. You're in the world of professional wrestling. Um. Traveling the world as like a kid. What was like that experience like? Did you have to grow up really fast? Did I ever really grow up? I don't really know. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely grew up fast and just kind of got thrown into it. And I don't know, it was it was very overwhelming. You know, everything was happening so fast. You know, obviously, like my first trip to Japan was, I think I was like 19 years old, about to turn 20. My debut match was like in the Tokyo Dome in front of like 50,000 people. So as you can imagine, I, I tell the story often, but it's like they told us right, right before, you know, not, not to look up because you're going to see the crowd. You might freak yourself out. So walking down the ramp, the first thing I could do was like, you just see this sea of people. And I looked up and I looked all around and I definitely was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Like, whose idea was this? But yeah, no, I got, I got, uh, I definitely got to grow up fast and have a bunch of really cool experiences as a young man. And I think it's okay. What was like your parents' reaction to this of like sending their boy into the world and keeping tabs on you? And at this time, it's not like, what was the cell phone situation then? Were we on cell phones? Yeah, we had like, we had a big phone, you know, kind of. Like you were just like, you were playing snake on your phone. Yes. That was the kind of phone that you had. Yes, yeah. we definitely had yeah. a Nokia playing snake <laughs> on it. Um, yeah. But when I was going to international, you had to get calling cards. So you'd get the calling card and then like dial the number. Then you had to put a pin in and then you had to hope that somebody picked up on the other line and, uh, you know, who or somebody was home. Did you have a rule of like, you have to check in at this time, you've got to call your family? Like, did you guys have any kind of a system set into place? No, they just said, you know, call. And, and you know, there was email too, right? So like, you know, it was like more emails. So I, so like even that, like you would have to go to- Like, like an, an internet an, cafe. Exactly. Yes. Internet cafe. Yes. Pay for like whatever, four or $5 an hour. And then you could, you know, surf the net and send emails. So I, I often sent emails and then I tried to call like every few days or so. When I think of like me moving from Canada to Los Angeles when I was like 19 and I felt like I was an adult at the time, but now, now actually being an adult, I'm like, oh my God, I was a child. 100%. How did my mother let me do that? How irresponsible. What could have happened? Oh my God. No, I, I think, well, I think my, my parents felt very strong. Like they, they were so happy for me and they, they could see that I actually, you know, I, I wasn't very good in school or anything. I didn't apply myself very much to school. So I, I think they were happy that, uh, you know, I was going and doing something positive and I was like into it as a career and not just for like a hobby or anything. So I think they were, they were very behind it. Obviously when I started, you know, getting these offers to go different places, they were of course worried, but they also were like, go do it. You know, like, like, this is cool. And, you know, not, no one in our family has ever been to Japan. Go to Japan. That sounds really cool. Did you ever have a moment as like being a kid, being around a ton of adults going, oh, I'm a little in over my head right now? Were you like, because you must have seen some shit that you were like, oh. Right. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Nothing that like, man, I've probably blocked it out through all these years. But yeah, like, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure there was definitely those kind of situations and I don't know. I just I, like, I don't know. I just, the, the goal was so important that to, you know, to wrestle and, you know, and try to do this as a living so that I feel like all that was always like more important than anything else. Anything that was around adults. The only time I feel like I really felt like that was like definitely in the ring. Like you're against somebody like Jushin Liger, who's a legend and you start questioning everything. Like, do, I do not belong here at all. I do not belong here. And then you, you forget everything, you know, your mind just goes blank. Like I couldn't even tell you about the first year in Japan that I wrestled because I feel like I was just always so nervous. It's all just like. Sure. You couldn't soak it in blur. proper. Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. I remember when I was in LA and I had, I couldn't work. I didn't have, I didn't have a work visa. I had nothing. I didn't even have any work experience, but I was like, I'm off to Hollywood. I had no money. I made $50 a night under the table at this like one bar that I was working at. My car would break down on me all the time. But my roommate was friends with Paul Allen, who was like created Microsoft with Bill Gates, owned like the biggest yacht in the world. I'm at this man's house. I don't have like fucking $20 in my bank account. 
and we were he had like a tram in his house to go down to his guest house where he had a band that lived in this guest house that he just like woke up to like play music for everybody (laughs) and that was a moment for me where I go what the fuck am I doing here I don't have any money I don't belong with this circle of people like why am I here it was like such a weird eye-opening moment that made me just feel like a kid that was like what the fuck am I doing in in this moment yeah Yeah, that was just in over my head (laughs) with people that I should not have been like and he's a lovely man he was very nice but I was like just not where I should have been at the time because I was a kid and I needed to get my shit together but anyways your time at New Japan why was New Japan the place that you have really gravitated towards to like really call home it's the only place that would employ me (laughs) fair enough (laughs) fair enough um So yeah, I started at like 15. Then I think around like that time, I I really started to get into Japanese professional wrestling. You know, I I was a fan of the cruiserweight division in WCW. You know, that was a big effect on me. Obviously, like I'm a smaller guy. So who were your guys? Who who were you watching that you loved? Ray and Eddie, of course. But like Hoovy, Psychosis. I mean, they were all, you know, just these crazy, amazing athletes. Jericho as well. I just thought that they were, you know, I'd never seen anything like that. And, and, and obviously like there were, there also became personalities as well. You know, in the beginning it was just about the matches, but then they started to really become personalities, especially like with uh, Jericho and Guerrero. So yeah, I started to really get into them. I was like, oh, this seems feasible. Like I could make a living doing that, like trying to become a cruiserweight. So then I started to like get into ECW and I was like, oh, that really seems like that's possible. I could totally fit into here, you know? So that was always the dream. I was like, I could just make it to ECW. Maybe I could become, you know, get a WCW cruiserweight contract and then I'm made, you know? But then with that discovering, you know, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Liger, like I said, and, and, um, and some of the other, Japanese wrestlers that would would come over to WCW. And so I started doing a deep dive into that. They found like the J Cup series, which is like so iconic. And uh, and then I was like, oh, I really want to wrestle in Japan because this is where everybody kind of like, if you're good, that's where you go. And then, you know, your career kind of like blossoms from there, hopefully. So that was always the goal was to get to Japan. But then once I got there, I realized how hard it was to actually stay there. So the first year, you know, I went and then I didn't go back for like another like year and a half or something like that, two years, they were basically like, oh, go get more experience. You're not ready for this yet. Is that why it's kind of hard to stay there? Yeah, for sure. For sure. At least for me, in my experience, you know. So they sent me to Mexico. I went and worked for CMLL in 2003. And then I got a a really great opportunity there. Became like the first ever CMLL Super Lejero champion. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I sure did. And uh, <laughs> and then had like these really like uh, a series of like really cool, iconic matches uh, in Mexico. I, then I started to feel like, okay, maybe I'm ready for like this next level, you know, going back to New Japan. So then I got an opportunity to go back, did very well there. And then I, they said, okay, you're, you are ready. Let's make you Black Tiger. So when they give you that offer to become Black Tiger, what is going through your mind? What an opportunity. I thought they were joking. (laughs) (laughs) I really did. So they told me like, oh, um," you know, because Black Tiger is like, if you don't know, is like this iconic, legendary character. So there's Tiger Mask, which is the good guy. And his arch nemesis is Black Tiger. So Mark Rollerball Rocco, um, you know, iconic, you know, wrestler from the UK. Then Eddie Guerrero, who's my hero, became Black Tiger. Then Silver King. And then I'm the fourth generation. So hell of a feather in your cap. Yeah. Awesome. It's, it's very cool. So when they told me, I was like, uh, are you serious? Like, like me, Rocky, me, they're like, yes, no, we want you to be, you know? So, uh, I guess like tiger mask, uh, four, which is the guy who I worked with, who's the fourth generation of his masked wrestler. So he wanted me to become black tiger. So that's kind of a cool compliment. So Obviously, I got to work with him and that was, you know, really great experience. That's nuts. Yeah, very, very cool. It's cool, like the lineage and everything that goes into it in the history to just like give that like pat on the back and like what an honorary thing to be able to do and be a part of. Um, So you're in New Japan, crushing it, you know, wrestling, doing X, Y and Z. When did it start to filter in for you to sort of become like office for New Japan and start recruiting and start like, you know, getting talent ready? Kind of around this time, you know, we had uh, an, an LA dojo. It was back in Santa Monica. It's like 2000, between 2002 and 2005-ish. 
Iconic. Yeah, yeah, right. Danielson was there, Samoa Joe, myself, Carl Anderson, Alex Kozlov, Prince Devitt, a.k.a. Finn Balor. So yeah, a lot of a lot of great talent came from there. I think during then, they, like I just kind of ended up in a kind of a leadership ish role, kind of there. I think that's just you in general. Have you always been like that? You're like that leader guy. You give off that vibe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it, but uh, I guess somehow I always find myself in these predicaments where, like, that's you. funny. Tell these people what to do, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, guys, don't get mad at me. But like, here's the situation. But uh, but yeah, so I, I just kind of started getting like kind of a leadership role and kind of communicating between the, you know, New Japan um, heads at the LA Dojo and then with the wrestlers and kind of being the intermediary between them. And uh, somehow, much later, that, that, that experience was kind of the stepping stone, I think, to 10 years later, 15 years later, whatever it was, 12 years later, that um, Tiger Hattori was stepping down in his position, who was this guy who scouted talent, who, you know, went agent in deals and stuff between wrestlers in New Japan and found, you know, every person who's, who's gone through the New Japan doors, probably, you know, from the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, it was, you know, Tiger Hattori. So uh, he kind of like mentored me. And suggested that, you know, when he was ready to step down, that I should take his place. So that's kind of how it happened. If I basically owe my whole career to him. How was it to balance between being in-ring talent to also having that like managerial position? It's kind of a hard pill to swallow in the beginning, I found, because I, I, I was obviously still young in my 30s and still, you know, felt like there was still a lot I wanted to accomplish and, and do. But then you're kind of like, I can't do both. You can't really do both. It's well, you can, but it's 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 very difficult. You really got to take the ego out of it, you know. So I kind of had to learn that. I think probably the first year, and and just be like, okay, just focus on everybody else, and then in time when the company needs you or there's an opportunity, you know, say, raise your hand and say, hey, I'd do it. You know, if you guys want me to. What was that for you? Probably like 2019, I did, I did the super junior and I hadn't been in it for a few years. And it was kind of the focus was, um, you know, I kind of became a manager for like about a year and a half where like I was a wrestling manager. So like I was in like the six mans, I just, you know, get beaten, take the pins. But then the focus was on, uh, Rapungi 3k, which is show and yo. And like, I came up with the ideas of how to package them and everything like that. So I really took a step back. I even like got myself terrible gear to make them look better. <laughs> And that's how I like, I was thinking about this. So yeah, not, not the best looks for me during that time. But then, um, yeah, 2019, I was like, okay, I would love to try to do another super junior and like, give it a go while, you know, while I still can, you know, because the older I get, obviously. And then plus like, as the younger generation comes up, you know, we obviously got to give them the opportunities more than I did. I've already done them. Right. I think I had my best performance, you know, probably ever in a super junior and had like a like a match of the year candidate with um with El Fantasmo and the Canadian King El Fantasmo. You're familiar. <laughs> so uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, okay, 2019 was definitely my best year in a Super Junior. So maybe that's just it. Maybe I'm just done with doing those anymore. Maybe that's it, and just kind of let the next generation. Because like I don't think I'm gonna do any better than I did in 2019. So let's just go out on top. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, there's part of me that's like, hell no, go out and keep doing it and keep going. But I know when you feel like you've really like put the cherry on top and you feel really proud of that performance, it's kind of just want to like, okay, step away. Great, great, great. Um, okay, so the relationship with New Japan and AEW, I know that that was a whole thing kind of going back and forth, figuring out what this whole forbidden door is. Obviously, you would have been uh, a pretty heavy hand in what those conversations uh, were like, what was that experience? And also just bringing you into to now work with uh, best friends. The relationship between New Japan and AEW was kind of started off a little rocky, you know, uh, obviously like uh, the elite being a part of New Japan and then obviously this new company starting and like what that was going to look like was kind of, you know, strange because they obviously were like, you know, especially Kenny was a contracted wrestler and he, he was saying like he was leaving to start a new company. So it was like, it didn't start off the best. And and definitely the president at the time was kind of opposed of working with uh, AEW in the beginning. So definitely like 
people like Jericho, Moxley, and Omega were the, were kind of the the ones to really get this whole kind of forbidden door idea started and and getting the companies to work together. And then finally, I think with the pandemic, then you know all everything was closed off. There was only you know certain wrestlers that could go back and forth between Japan and America. You know, which basically made the opportunity for uh, the Kenta and Moxley angle to happen on the New Japan side, which also Moxley versus Omega that was happening in AEW. And then Omega reached out and was like, I got this crazy idea to bring Kenta to AEW. What do you think? Do you think New Japan will go for it? And I said, well, I think now is a great time to try it. It was a big moment. It was cool as all hell. It was a really cool moment. Really awesome. And um, worked out. I feel like it worked out when, when Kenta showed up on Dynamite. Nobody was expecting that. And, you know, this was still taping in Jacksonville, you know in front of uh, just a few hundred fans or whatever it was. and uh, But it was just a really, really amazing moment. And that was kind of like what definitely started to get things uh, going. I met with Tony and Tony was really, really cool. And, he, you know, how excited he was about working with New Japan, how much he wanted to work with New Japan, how much of a fan he was of New Japan before AEW. So it just kind of worked itself out. And then there was starting to gain a little trust on both sides, I think. Then we finally came up with the idea of, I think I texted with Tony, like, what if we just did like a super show of some sort? Their matches could be mixed. They could be, you know, New Japan matches, AEW matches, whatever it, 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 whatever it is. Let's just put the idea out there. I would love to see if we can make something work. And then Tony was immediately like, I have like eight matches I'm ready to do. Like he had so <laughs> many ideas right off the bat. I was like, oh, this is great. This is great. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And then I'm thinking like, I hope New Japan says yes. So then I went, <laughs> I went back to New Japan. I told them about it. And um, all of a sudden it became a reality. Like, like things started happening behind the scenes where, you know, we're talking about, well, how would it work? You know, who handles the production? Da, 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 da. So going back and forth. So I just was going back and forth between, you know, Chris Harrington and the New Japan office between Tony in the New Japan office and just going back and forth. And then, uh, you know, we were able to put this, this show together. And it was a crazy experience because New Japan is such a live event company. AEW is obviously like a television company. So two very different worlds. Uh, so like, you know, there we had some, you know, some scheduling conflicts. And then obviously like COVID, a lot, you know, people with COVID, then we had injuries on top of that. So like definitely the original plan changed a bunch. But it was cool that both companies were were willing to make it work and 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 figure out how to how to make this thing work. And it was a huge, huge success. I mean, one of the biggest pay-per-views uh, of the year. So, yeah, it was awesome. Um, OK, so for you to join Best Friends, there's obviously some some deep history there with, with yes. a few of those fellows. Right. Um, but for you to be on, you know, back into the, the wrestling scene of things with AEW. Yeah, that was kind of the unexpected part. You know, uh, I think that after like the first time I showed up, uh, like with Kenta, when he showed up on Dynamite, Tony was like, I love Rapungi Vice. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, sometimes I play it after the shows, you know? And then, so I, conf- I had to confirm with Trent, like, does, does Tony really like Rapungi Vice? Does he really play it after the shows? He's like, yeah, dude, he knows all the words. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. So then he was like- uh, That's so funny. Hey, yeah, it was really cool. So um, then he's like, so he mentioned, he's like, I would love for you to come back to AEW sometime. And I, you know, Trent was, was hurt at the time, but I, I would love for eventually to, we can do like a Rapungi Vice reunion on, in AEW. And that was kind of the, the stepping stones of, of working with best friends. And then obviously, you know, working with OC, working with Chuck. Yeah, just like really, really cool and just kind of got thrown into it. So then, you know, like now I'm the guy who can obviously become like a New Japan representative in AEW all the time, but also be a part of like, an existing stable angle at any point, whenever they need an extra person, they can just throw me in there and plug me in. You get to be that like Swiss army knife player. What do you need? Exactly. What do you need? Rocky's got the goods. Santa Barkley is coming to town and he's delivering $20 million in gifts this holiday season to all FanDuel customers. Doesn't matter if you've been naughty or nice. St. Chuck has something for everyone. Just check your FanDuel app for no sweat, same game parlays, bonuses, and all sorts of stuff that'll fill you with holiday cheer. New to FanDuel? Now is the perfect time to sign up and remember to use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E. The app is so incredibly easy to use. They're always hooking you up with great promotions and when you win, you get paid instantly. 
See for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sports book and get in the holiday spirit with $20 million in gifts from Santa Barkley. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG. For Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana, 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Your time working with Gallows and Anderson, let's talk about those fellows for a minute. Do we need to? I mean, I don't know. I feel like when you start talking about Gallows and Anderson, it's like, well, what stories can we tell? Exactly. What do you say? Um, okay, so we don't have to get into details about too many things, um, but with Gallows and Anderson going back to WWE, Anderson uh, having a title at New Japan, kind of keeping that door open, what is the deal? It's been a very stressful situation for me. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah, obviously when the guys started saying, you know, talking about the, you know, WWE had reached out to them. Uh, I, of course, started to get nervous because I knew that we had a bunch of dates, you know, set and everything. And obviously, like you said, Anderson was the cha- never open champion. I, I got worried and I said, you know, you guys don't just don't screw me over, please. You know, like <laughs> I was part of the reason that you guys came back, you know, and helped to, to you know, obviously they left on, you know, they left on good terms and everything. But just to bring them back, you know, was definitely a part of that. So we started talking about that. But then... um Finally, he was like, okay, well, we're going to sign and, you know, somebody's going to have to talk to, to WWE. So of course that means me having to talk to WWE. <laughs> <And> you. <laughs> and, uh, but I got the, I got on the line and, and, uh, obviously there was, a uh, some confusion on when they, the dates that they were going to actually do. And, uh, you know, there was that, that November 5th show that Anderson had already been announced for, for New Japan. But then it was also the same time that the Saudi Arabia show was going on obviously there was going to be a conflict right there. So that's kind of how it started. It started off real rocky. They went into Saudi. We figured it out. We got a new date and then we just decided to turn it into, you know, a big angle because I thought that that was probably the best way to deal with it. Hoping that everything was going to work out, but not really sure. Finally, he went and did this last show um, a couple of days ago and def- successfully defended the title. So now he's on, you know, he'll be at the Tokyo Dome to face Tama Tonga, which is really exciting. So yeah, they, huge. Dude, this Tokyo Dome is going to be insane. We have, you know, WWE wrestler and Carl Anderson. We have Kenny Omega, who's an AEW wrestler. We've got stardom wrestlers on the show. We've got New Japan Is there anybody wrestlers. else that's showing up for that show that we're not sure about yet? Or I've heard a lot of rumors, <laughs> but I don't really... I can, I can, I cannot confirm nor deny at this okay. moment. But, okay, um, interesting, you interesting. Know, fingers okay. crossed that, uh, you know, you, ne- you never know. What could happen? Definitely will be some surprises at Tokyo Dome. What are the odds uh, that maybe um, one AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, were to uh, make his way out to the ring with uh, with Carl Anderson? Anything is possible, Renee. Anything is possible. You know what? Wrestling's great. This is the shit that I love about wrestling. I love when there are legitimate big question marks and as much as dirt sheets pick up things and there can be rumors swirling around, whatever, I love the surprises. I love that bit of magic and that mystery. So I will certainly be watching as I'm sure many other people are going to be tuning in to see what exactly is going to go on at the show. I'm pretty excited about it. It's And it's also like just a stack show. Will Ospreay versus Kenny Omega singles oh my for God. the first time. It's nuts. Woo! It's Woo! nuts. Jay White versus Okada. They're going to, you know, do another chapter in their, in their, obviously their series, which has always been, you know, top notch. So yeah. And I'm curious to see, you know, if the good brothers will actually show up, you never know. (laughs) Yeah. Get on that flight boys. Let's go get over there. Do it, do it. Please. Um, Okay. So back to you as a professional wrestler, you know, we kind of rattled off some of the accolades, some of the things you've been able to do. I feel like you were somebody that's very much so, revered um by your peers do you feel like you get your flowers as a wrestler Mm, 
Mm, that's a loaded question. Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. I, I think definitely by my peers, yes. You know, which which is obviously a huge part of it. Um, by fans, maybe not so much, you know. I haven't been on the biggest platforms, you know, and I think that that's definitely a part of it. You know, I've never been in WWE uh, or, you know, and I'm now spending some time in AEW, I'm definitely getting more accolades, I guess, yeah. you know, yeah. there's also a lot of people always talking shit online, you know, I see it. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, uh, no, I, 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 I definitely feel good that I, I, I definitely feel like, you know, having accolades from my peers is, is, is more important. Um, what is the deal with, um, you being one of the most hated men in Mexico at one point? Oh, I tried to start a riot in August. What happened? I was almost successful. So it was the World Grand Prix for uh, CMLL, mm-hmm. which is Mexico versus the world. So I re- I represented the world, and uh, and yeah, right before the match even started, you know, we started getting into a shoving match, and then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, it was like fifteen thousand people on their feet, like screaming at me, and uh, I kind of got ran off into the into the crowd, which was a bad idea because then there was yeah, that's not small. <laughs> A lot of people started to swarm me, so I jumped back over. But it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a cool feeling to have that kind of heat in such a like rabid fan base like Lucha Libre has. But it felt good. It felt good to be back on your toes and <laughs> being a heel, which I love so much. I'm so tired of being a good guy. Um, but it, it, it makes like wrestling easier if I'm a good guy because so I'm doing backstage stuff. It seems so much easier than trying to be a heel. But it's fun to do that in Mexico and get people. I feel like everyone always says it's easier to be a heel than it is to be a good guy. It's definitely easier to be a heel, but I'm saying it's it's easier to be a babyface if I'm doing backstage stuff. Oh, in New Japan. gotcha. Yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah, that's smart. Then then smart, being smart, a, smart. A, a heel, people sometimes will take things the wrong way, obviously, and uh, so it's easier to be an office person, I guess. Babyface office guy. Babyface office guy. Yeah. <laughs> Much um, you, you have some degeneration Mexico stories. Is this a thing? <laughs> Emilio's chiming in on this. This yeah. is Emilio, yeah, by I got the, the way. The awesome opportunity to work with uh, Sean Waltman in Mexico and my time in AAA. And uh, yeah, so his big idea was like, we're going to start a new group and it's going to be called Degeneration Mex. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> And so we came out to the music and everything. And I don't know if AAA ever got sued or not, but like we definitely came out to the music. We had pyro. We did jumping crotch chops. It was, you had it was to. Awesome. You had to. Did you have the glow sticks? No. We oh, didn't have glow boo. sticks. Boo. But we had like the cross X's, you know, the Damn. fireworks, the pyro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. That's right. That a couple times. I don't know. It was pretty cool. Because I, I basically got to be, you know, 15, 16 years old, pretending to be in DX in front of like thousands of people. So I loved it. Every second of it. <laughs> it was not a hit. It was not over at all. But it was an awesome experience to work with Sean because he's got one of the best minds ever. And I learned a ton working with him. Like being sweet a, man. a fire, sweet man, being a fiery baby face, you know, like just learning so much. Um, So very thankful because he kind of definitely changed uh, some of my opinions about wrestling a little bit. And, and just like, how so? Well, like I never really put anything into a comeback. Just, I always thought just a comeback was just like a comeback. Right. The only thing Sean ever wanted to do was just do the comeback. And then I started to realize like how important that was and like how that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the match. And like, that sometimes is the most important part of the match, you know, depending on where you are. So then I started to just realize, okay, I got to, I have to have like a sweet comeback. So I put together a really awesome comeback. And then I became the comeback guy for like my team with me and Trent later. And also like, even just like that little area of, um, of new Japan where it was like the bucks and red dragon and, you know, Rapungi vice and time splitters. Then like, I was the comeback guy. Even if we did like a four way or whatever, they'd be like, oh, give it to, even though like all those guys are better athletes than me and more impressive. I just had the fire. I knew exactly what to do. I had the clotheslines, I had all this stuff. So I just became the comeback guy. And then that was like a great compliment because I wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for Sean. 
When you're able to pick up tidbits from working with the guys that are like the greats, it's really awesome to be able to take some of those and just put them in your tool belt and get to work. Um, You have been around this business for some time. You've worked in many different promotions. You've been there and done that. You've got some stories, obviously. I would love for you to close this out with telling me some some great Antonio Inoki stories. Oh, man. What What do you got? I think the greatest Antonio Inoki story I have is... uh, it all started, I was, I was on tour in Japan. There was like a week between the tours. So it was like the beginning of the tour. It was like Super Junior. And then there was like a week off because New Japan was going to Italy for a week. And then the rest of the tour was going to resume. I wasn't supposed to be on this Italy tour at all. So I was just going to take the week off and stay at the dojo train. You know, I get a phone call like two nights before they leave to Italy. And it's, uh, it's just basically like me in the dojo. I don't know who it was, but some young lion rookie picks up the phone. It's like midnight. And then I hear, I could hear the phone ring downstairs and I could, then all of a sudden I hear boop, 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 the guy walking up the stairs and then banging on my door. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, oh, uh, Mr. Inoki wants you to come to Rapungi right now for drinks. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so the boss says, okay. you're going to have drinks at midnight. You put on your clothes, you get in a cab, go, right? So I get there and it's like, just another place I didn't belong. I was there, like you were talking about. I was just there. I was a young man with adults, have no idea. So I walk into this smoky bar and uh, I sit down and then Antonio Noki's like, do you drink whiskey? I'm like, of course. Do tonight. Yep. Oh, I do tonight. <laughs> never, never drank whiskey like this before. Yeah. Uh, so he put, gives me, you know, they give me a whiskey and then he goes, you smoke cigars, right? And I'm like, yes. And he goes, and at this day, he goes, you're Cuban, right? So you definitely smoke cigars. Oh, I'm like, Lord. I'm like, well, that's a gimmick. I'm actually Puerto Rican, but, and I was never, I've never been to Cuba. I was born in Los Angeles. So I just said, yes, of course. And he, so he hands me a cigar. I think it's the first time I've ever smoked a cigar. So I had no idea. So Uh-oh. I'm just got like this whiskey and the cigar. Oh, in my no. Hand. Definitely just don't belong there. I'm with, you know, all these elite people from, you know, all over in the, the, uh, the Japanese business world and politics or whatever. So I'm sitting there and he's like, oh, he's like, uh, are you going to Italy? You know, this is pretty cool that New Japan is doing a, this tour in Italy. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually off the tour. I'm, I'm staying here. He's like, what? How could one of our greatest wrestlers, you know, in, in the company not go to Italy? I was like, wow, this is, this is incredible. I don't know what's going on in my life right now. And then he goes, uh, so, so whatever, we finish out the night. I go to bed. It's like late. And uh, I wake up the next day. And the, the same guy comes up, you know, the same young lion knocks on the door. He goes, I need your passport. I have to drop it off at the office. They need to make some kind of visa for you to go to Italy. Ah. I'm like, oh, okay. So uh hand him my passport. He leaves. Now I'm booked for this Italy tour. So the first like five days, I have nothing to do because they weren't planning on me being there. So like there wasn't really like a spot for me on the cards. So I just kind of like hung out for five days, which was awesome. I ate like Italian food, drank wine. It was amazing. So then, uh, then finally, I think the last day they said, oh, we're going to, we have a spot for you on the card. It's going to be you and Ultimo Dragon against Liger and Tiger Mask. So it was like this really cool, like, you know, tag match with all these mass, you know, these four masked wrestlers. So I, I went to go and do a double stomp to Tiger Mask and I like slipped off his back and tried to post and then dislocated my shoulder during the match oh shit so uh, shit. i get to the back and the trainer's like looking at it. he's like oh yeah this is bad this is definitely dislocated so then he like put it back in place and he's like okay put a sling on me and this is the last night of the tour so he's like you're definitely smoked for the rest of the tour when you get back to japan the super junior is done for you now mind you i was supposed to win the super junior that year and it was like a big deal there was gonna get this huge no! push that's out the door we get back to the hotel and they have this huge dinner for us, um, you know, to close out the tour, just like a big thank you thing with the promoters. So we're sitting there, it's a private dinner, but for some reason there's like a little stage, like at the, at the front of the, uh, the room. And, uh, Mr. Inoki goes up there and he goes, uh, Rocky, come here. And he says, come up. And he goes, uh, and he goes, how's your, how's your shoulder feeling? I'm like, oh, it's not good. It's not good. And he's like, oh, okay, well take off the sling. So I take off the sling and then he goes, um, can you move it? I'm like, not really. And he goes, okay. So then he proceeds to like rub his hands together and like straight out of like, uh, like karate kid, he just goes and he starts like focusing on it. Right. And like, 
And like, uh, he's like, do you feel like any tingling or getting hot? I'm like, yes, but I was getting hot because I'm watching everybody watch me while he's doing this. Right. So I'm just getting so nervous so that I'm starting to like sweat for sure. You know, I'm like, oh no, what am I, what am I, what am I supposed to do in this situation? What's going on? You know, like, and everybody's watching me and he's just like doing this and he's like, you know, and he's like, so he does it for like, oh, I don't know, a minute or two. It felt like forever. And then he goes, go ahead and move it, move it around. Like, I think it should be better. And I'm looking at the trainer who's looking at me watching this whole thing. All he does is going, no, don't move it. You know, he's like from his seat. So I just go with like everything I have. And I'm raising us like up to my shoulder, like, like, right. And he goes, great. I'm so glad it's much better. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, and then he just like points me to go sit down. So I could just go and sit in my seat. And then I was like, Everybody was just watching it, like, all the boys. And then I remember like a couple of days later, like Jado or Gato or somebody being like, yeah, he tried to do that to me like two years ago. And I just completely know. <laughs> oh my God. That's fantastic. Yeah. But honestly though, like it, like it was, that was a, a very fun kind of uh story that happened, but yeah, Mr. Noki was, was really, really awesome to me. He gave me a bunch of opportunities and it was such a pleasure to, um, to be able to be around a legend like that. And somebody definitely learned a lot and um, very sad to see him pass this year. That was, that was a rough one. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Total legend. It's yeah. I mean, so cool to be able to spend time under a learning tree like that. And just to develop like a friendship like that. It's, it's really cool. Something to hold close. Definitely. Well, Rocky, thank you so much for popping on here with me. You're an absolute gem of a human being. Go, Get those pups, give them little smooches, and uh, hopefully I'll see you at TV soon. When are you going to be there next? Um, Probably after the new year. I got to go to Japan. I got to go back to Mexico. And then, yeah, probably sometime after that. But I got to go get my pups because they're getting baths today. Oh, shoot. Okay. Listen, it's the holidays. You got to have a clean dog, you know? Scrub them down. Scrub them down. Well, listen, text me if anything goes down at um, Wrestle Kingdom that I need to know about. And uh, just keep a finger on the pulse. Like what? I I don't know. Maybe there's someone's going to be there. A woman, perhaps. Oh. Do you know something that I know? I don't. I just see things trending on Twitter. That's all oh, I ever see. Oh, okay, I just see okay. trends. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to be a journalist and this is the best I can do. You're doing a great job. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, have a great holiday. Thank you. You too. All right. I'll talk to you soon. A big thank you to Rocky for joining me and hanging out. Um, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, if you want to see more of this episode, head on over to YouTube. Hang on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share it. All of those great things. Let me know more people that you guys want to see on the sessions as well. We are open to uh, all comers. So hit your girl up. Until next time, this has been The Sessions. The Sessions.